thank you for what you can do in our lives, whether um, we're reminded of that strength from seeing a story of a blind man receiving his sight, or whether it's something that we have seen you do personally in our lives this week, or what, as we think about what you can do, we thank you for the, the truth of, of who you are and who your son Jesus Christ is. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing this sermon series here entitled I Am. We're looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus Christ. They come in the book of John, chapters 6 through 15. And I, again, want to encourage and challenge you to read through that section of Scripture on your own. We learn wonderful, wonderful truths about Jesus in those chapters. And, and the goal of this sermon series would be not just that we would know these things that are true about Jesus, although, of course, we do want that, uh, but we also want to apply whatever it is God would, would have for us. We want to we embrace the truth of who Jesus is, and we want to live our lives accordingly. Today we're going to look at a place in Scripture in which Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. Uh, we're going to walk through John 9 today, but this phrase occurs in John 8:12, which we just sang about in that kid's song, which you guys might not be able to get out of your heads now for a while. But Jesus, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light versus darkness. It's one of the most common contrasts known to man. We face it on a daily basis, right? Uh, every one of us who can see, at least, we, we face this, this struggle in many ways of light versus darkness. And I thought it would be fun if we just spend the rest of our time today sharing all of our stories about how we were scared of the dark. Well, maybe, maybe we won't do that, but, uh, but maybe you can, as, as families or as friends as you go from here, share a story about your struggle with light versus dark. I think I've shared this story before, but my story is that in our house growing up, my bedroom was on the main level, but our shower was in the basement. So I would have to go from the upstairs to the downstairs uh, every morning to shower. And it was dark downstairs. And I just felt like I would not be safe until I could get into that bathroom and turn on the light. And somehow then that light would just make everything okay. Until I had to turn it off again when I was done with my shower and go back upstairs. And I just run as fast. I just didn't like that. It was like... 25 feet from the, the, the bathroom to the steps, and I was just scared for a very, longer than I should admit, scared of the darkness there. Or I was thinking about another illustration. I, uh, I have a 12-year-old son, and he loves Star Wars, and so I've been watching some Star Wars with him, and if you know anything about Star Wars, you know it's the struggle between the light side and the dark side of the Force. There's these, these two powers that are at work in every episode of Star Wars. And there's something else that happens in every single episode of Star Wars. Do you know what it is? War. It's not called Star Peace. It's called Star Wars because the light and the darkness are in a battle with each other. And if we think about our lives, we, we see that, that spiritual battle every day. So we're not just talking now about the physical components of, of light and darkness. That was my story of growing up as a kid. I was, I was scared of the, the lack of light. Um, but we're not even just talking about like the Star Wars sort of mythical idea of the Force and this, this mythical battle that goes on. We are talking about a very real, a very spiritual battle that goes on in our hearts every day. This, this spiritual battle of light versus darkness. It must not be taken lightly. Now fortunately, we can be on the winning side of this one. Uh, if I could call you to the light side, to use an illustration from Star Wars, 
as we think about the end of the Bible, we see the, the descriptions of the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation 21, in verse 25, it says, there will be no night there. Isn't that interesting? There will be no night in our eternal dwelling with God. It says in verse 23, the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. In eternity, it will be constantly light. God's people will be with him forever. All the forces of darkness will have been eternally dealt with. And for those of us who know Jesus, we will get to live with him in perfect light, in perfect glory. And it will be a wonderful place. Well, Jesus is the king of heaven. And when he came to earth, he came as the true light. John 1.9 says that he is the true light. And we can walk with him. And we don't just have to wait until heaven to walk with him in the light. We can walk with him now. He is the light of the world. In John 9, which we're going to walk through today, we read about a man who was born blind. Now, to be blind is to be in darkness. Physically speaking, everything to them is darkness. The theologian D.A. Carson noted that this is an appropriate metaphor for us because every single one of us was born into spiritual darkness. There's not a single one of us who was born just knowing how to get our way through this world. Many of us assumed, probably all of us assumed, that we could make our own way through this world. But what we were really doing was just forging our own path in the darkness until Jesus came along and shone his light on us, until we received him and, and therefore received the light of the world. So we were all spiritually blind, but praise the Lord, there's a cure for that. So in today's passage in John 9, uh, we already read John 8, 12, but then this phrase, the light of the world, shows up again in John 9. And John 9 is a passage about a blind man who received his sight. But it's not just about physically receiving sight. As you'll see, there's spiritual undertones all the way through it. So we're going to walk through John 9, and then when I get to the end, I want to point out some things that we can apply to our lives. John 9, verses 1 through 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The natural assumption in those days was, was that if somebody was born with a physical ailment, it was either due to their own sin or due to the sins of their parents. Now, generally speaking, every physical ailment that comes about has come about because of sin. You think all the way back to Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, uh, sickness and death came with it, and the curse of God came with it. And therefore, we all struggle physically. So in one sense, yes, all of our sickness and even death comes about as a result of sin. And even there's a specific place in the Old Testament where it says that God will punish the children for the sins of their fathers. But in this specific case in John 9, Jesus said that this wasn't the case. In fact, he said in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Let this be an encouragement to you. For, for some of you, maybe you've struggled with something for a very long time. Maybe one of the reasons it's there is so that God's work can be displayed in your life. Maybe there's a physical ailment that you struggle with. And I just love how God can weave this all together in such a way that his glory can shine through in the midst of it. I think of the Apostle Paul here who said that he boasted in his weaknesses, knowing that when he was weak, it was an opportunity for God's power to shine through. In fact, God even said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then moving along, verses 4 through 5, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light 
of the world. And there's our phrase today, I am the light of the world. And here again we see the contrast, night versus day, darkness versus light. And the contrast couldn't be more stark. And we've all felt it, right? Every single one of us. Not just the physical light that we see or don't see, but also spiritually this battle that every single one of us faces. We've known it so personally, this battle between good and evil. We've all felt it. Well, here's my big idea for today. We need the light of the world to see rightly. We need the light of the world to see rightly. Now, when I say the light of the world, I'm not talking about the light that comes from the world. We're actually talking about the light of the one who made this world. In John 1, verses 3 through 5, it says, speaking of Jesus, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Again, there's this contrast here. Jesus is light. He is the one through whom the world was created. He gives light to us. And then spiritually speaking, he he is light that, that lights our way, that lights our path. So what we see here in this contrast is that we are either going to be in the dark or in the light. We're either going to be with Jesus or not with Jesus. And if we have any hope of living the way that God wants us to live, we need light in order to see rightly. Which again is my big idea. We need the light of the world to see rightly. Now what's going to happen to this blind man next highlights this idea of Jesus being the light of the world. Verses 6 through 7. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, I'm not exactly sure why Jesus did the whole spit and the mud thing here. Jesus did his miracles in a bunch of different ways, and this one was pretty different. Um, You know, I I kind of feel bad for this guy in one way. I mean, I feel good for him because he got a miracle, but I feel bad for him. Like, the other people didn't have to get, like, spit mud on their eyes, but this guy did. Okay, but it worked out really well, and I love the simplicity of it. Jesus put this saliva, this mud on his eyes, told him to go and wash. He washed, and he came home seeing It's a story that's going to get repeated throughout the rest of this chapter. It's just a simple story of the power of Jesus to change somebody's life. He obeyed, and there were tremendous results. And the people who knew this man were astonished. Verses 8 through 12. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Have you ever looked at someone and you, you were pretty sure that you knew them? You even knew that you knew them, you just didn't know who they were? Um, I remember one time there was this guy that I played basketball with and I didn't see him for a couple of years and then he came back one day to play basketball and I looked at him and was like, what's your name? And he told me his name. I'm like, really, that's you? Because he was so much bigger. He got so, I, I touched his biceps. I'm like, are you sure you're that same guy? And that's what these guys, they're doing a double take. Like, you're, you used to sit and beg there because you couldn't see and now you can see. And by the way, nobody had ever heard of this happening before. In fact, uh, a little quiz for you. I'd be, I'd be impressed if anybody can come up with this. Can you think of any place in the Old Testament even where we hear a miracle of somebody who uh, received their sight? I, I only know of one. And that wasn't with somebody who was born blind. It was a group of people who were struck with blindness and then afterwards their sight was restored to them. So 
later on we're going to say nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. That's what they were struggling with here. These people, like, we don't get it. You were blind and now you can see. Something must have happened. And they knew that something spiritual had happened as well. So that's why it says in the next verse that they, um, they took him to the Pharisees. Verses 13 through 16. The Pharisees were just the religious leaders of the day, so these people just said, something spiritual went on, we want to see what our leaders have to say about it. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Uh, Sorry, there's another part of that verse. It says, But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Let me point out a couple things about these verses. First, Jesus did this healing on a Sabbath day. And Old Testament law says of the Sabbath day, On it you shall not do any work. The Pharisees heard about what Jesus did, and they thought that maybe making the mud and healing this man was work, and they condemned him. No, 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 no. A, A righteous person wouldn't do that on the Sabbath, they said. But, but Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath. In fact, several times Jesus explained to us the true purpose of the Sabbath. In one of them, Matthew 12, 11 through 12, he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus was doing here. He was doing good on the Sabbath. In fact, I would say he was fulfilling the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, uh, and the, the purpose is for us to have this communion with God, and Jesus was doing something good for this man, and it ended up in this man having communion with God. Okay, the second thing I want to point out from these verses is in verse 16, where we see that the Pharisees were divided because of the Jews. Again, some said this man is not from God, Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? This happened a lot in the life of Jesus, that people were divided. They saw these powerful things that he did. They heard these powerful things that he had to say, and people just didn't quite know how to put two and two together sometimes. So they continued their investigation of this blind man, even asking his parents to come in and corroborate the story. Verses 17 through 23. Finally, they, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that, he now, that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. This formerly blind man's parents were more than willing to speak about their son. Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But when they started to ask him about Jesus, that's when they clammed up. Because they, they didn't want to talk about Jesus because there was already this, this edict that, uh, that people who believed in Jesus as the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So they didn't want to talk about Jesus. They said, ask him. He's old enough. He'll speak for himself. And and just a quick point of application here. Let's not be ashamed to speak about Jesus. When he does his powerful works in our lives, let's let's be eager to tell people about what he has done for us. So, at the
At the end of this then, the Pharisees brought the formerly blind man back, verses 24 to 25. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They're basically saying, tell the truth. Maybe even like putting him under oath, that phrase, give glory to God, might have been like an oath. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And I love this powerful testimony of this man who used to be blind. Just simply telling what Jesus had done for him. And it was so powerful that they couldn't refute it. They were like, yep, pretty obvious. You were born blind and now you can see. We don't understand how it happened, but we can't refute it. Now I want you to think about that in regard to our story. What, what has Jesus done for you? What would you say? If, if somebody, somebody comes up to you, maybe it's even somebody who's questioning Christianity, and maybe they're questioning in the sense of they want to learn, and maybe they're questioning in the sense of they don't want it to be correct. What would you say if somebody says, what has Jesus done for you? Could you give just a short but powerful testimony? I want to challenge you to think about that. In fact, it's going to come up later. I'm going to give you all a homework assignment at the end of my message here. But the question is, what has Jesus done for you? Now I was thinking about that this week, and there's lots of different directions we could go with that. But one of the things I was thinking this week is that my life was transformed. I, like everybody else in this world, came into this world thinking about me and what I wanted. And I carried that attitude with me for a long time, and my life was about me and the things that I wanted. It was about doing the things that I had to do so I could do the things that I wanted to do. That was pretty much what consumed all of my thoughts was doing the things that I wanted to do. But when I met Jesus, I, I learned that there's actually a higher purpose for my life, that God created me and loves me and wants me to think about things that are outside of myself. And when, and when we do that, our eyes are open to the, all the, the good works that God has prepared for us. It's not just the selfish stuff that we want in this life, which that road, it just is not going to fulfill us. And, and we've all felt it. We all... Now, I still struggle with it. I still struggle with selfishness some. And when I do struggle with it, what I recognize is that that life does not fulfill me. The only life that fulfills is the one that Jesus opened my eyes to, the one in which I, I recognize it doesn't have to be all about me. And that's a better life. So what about you? What could you say, your story, about what Jesus has done for you? If somebody asks, are you ready to give an answer? I'm so thankful that, that Jesus is the light of the world and that he, he leads us on a path and lights the path that is good for us. Verses 26 through 34. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Again, the story was so simple, but the people had such a hard time grasping it. Well, tell us again, what did he do? Like, maybe they'll catch something the next time. No, it, it was simple. Mud on the eyes, washed, and now he sees. Although it's interesting to me, look at verse 34. Look, at what, look what the Pharisees acknowledged in verse 34. 
They acknowledged that he was born blind because in their thinking he was, he was born in sin. But think about it. He was born blind, but now he could see. If his physical sight was restored, what does that say about his sin? It reminds me of another miracle in which Jesus did. Remember the one where he healed the paralytic? And what did he say to him first? He didn't say get up and walk first. He said your sins are forgiven first. And then he healed the man so that he could walk And I think he did it in that order to show that he has power to do both. And I think what was happening here in this story is that these people saw that this man had been blind but now could see, and they knew that something physically powerful had happened, but they didn't get that something spiritually powerful had happened yet. And their only answer was to say, well, this guy must be a really bad sinner. (laughs) Oh, they missed it. They missed it. They couldn't deny what happened to this man but they, they still, for some reason, were trying to deny Christ. People today, they might have uh, lots of reasons that they want to deny Christ, but they may not be able to refute our story, which is, again, is why I, I want us to, to think about sharing our story, which I'll, I'll, I'll mention again. But. And then let me point out something else. In verse 31, um, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. He was right there are actually quite a few verses in Scripture that say this very same thing, that God doesn't have to listen to us if we hold on to our sin. Psalm 66, 18 is one of them. It said, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Do you know that God does not have to answer your prayers if you're holding on to sin? Just, just know that. I, I, sometimes you know, we say, Oh, what a, what a blessing. God hears my prayers. And maybe we think God hears all my prayers. Well, guess what? He doesn't have to hear your prayers if you're praying them in the wrong way, if you're holding on to sin. Although, on the flip side of that, let me say this. God will hear the, the prayers of repentant sinners. So if we've been holding on to sin, what we should do is come humbly before God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been sinning. God will hear that prayer. God, God's grace and mercy is for the, the humble, repentant person who will seek Him. Okay, so... Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. I told you that story. Um, Even the Old Testament, all the miracles we think of in the Old Testament, there was never this miracle. Although it is interesting, in the book of Isaiah, there are at least three times and maybe a fourth where it's prophesied that the Messiah would bring recovery of sight. So these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they should have been ready for that. They should have been thinking, oh, recovery of sight for the blind, that's what Isaiah talked about. Maybe this is the Messiah. That's what they should have been thinking. Unfortunately, that's not what they were thinking. But all all together here in John 9, something amazing happened. It was undeniable. A blind man received his sight. But it's not just a story about a man being able to see again. It's a story with deep spiritual implications as well. Jesus is the light of the world. We can't see without light. We need Jesus if we're going to see rightly. And that's where the story goes in verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus asked this man if he believed in the Son of Man. And, And this man seemed curious. He wanted to know. And I love this response. Um, this formerly blind man got to see Jesus. His, 
Maybe it's this very first day that he could ever see anything and he gets to see Jesus. And I love his response in verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, throughout this story, this man who was born blind, he doesn't strike me as the greatest theologian in the world, but that's okay, because he met Jesus, and his testimony was powerful, and here his response is perfect. I, I don't know if he knew everything that he was doing and saying in this verse, but he got it so right in this verse. To say, Lord, I believe... And to worship Jesus is exactly what we should do. And you don't have to be the world's best theologian to believe in Jesus or to worship him. Those are matters of the heart. Those are matters of faith. And we can all honor God with our belief and our worship. And then verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now, I used to be a little bit confused about verse 39 where Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, because in other places Jesus said that that he came to save and not to condemn. Uh, Although, there's another place in verse 12 where he said he didn't judge those who don't keep his words. So how do we reconcile this? Did he come to save or to condemn, or did he not come to condemn? Which one is it? Well, really, it's two sides of the same coin. And here's the way I like to think of it. Plan A for Jesus is that he would come to save people. For all who call on him, there is forgiveness. There's cleansing. So we can all come to him. But for those who reject him, the the flip side of that coin of being saved is that we all need to be saved from something. And if we're not going to call on Jesus and be saved from something, then what's left for us except for judgment? So plan A is salvation, but plan B is judgment. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So, so which one is it for you? Have you received Jesus? Have you believed in the Son? Have you re- received that eternal life that only he can give? Or are you continuing to reject Jesus? And if you're rejecting Jesus, don't do it any longer. You know, it's interesting. This world, again, will tell us that there's going to be pleasure on this path of life. If there's only two paths, there's one where we follow Jesus into the life that he has for us, and then the other one is the one that the world says, no, 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 that's going to be the one that you should follow. Who should we believe? And, you know, in the Bible it says, now, today is the day of salvation. And I just, I just hope and pray that every one of you know that there is only true life on the path in which we follow Jesus. Do not reject him. And if you've been rejecting him up until right now, I want to urge you to humble yourself before him. You need the light of the world if you're going to see rightly. And then getting back to verses 40 to 41, some Pharisees overheard this conversation and they asked about their blindness. And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Some people will not come to the light Jesus explained this in another passage in John 3. I love this one. Verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men, who lo- but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Think about that. Some people, they hear the truth about Jesus and then they think about what changes are going to need to happen in their life if they're going to follow Jesus and they reject it because they prefer the darkness. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. 
Again, only two paths. Either we're in the light with God or we're in the darkness and headed for destruction. It's amazing how we as humans can rationalize our actions. Think about how many people in the world are rationalizing their actions today. Think about even how many Christians, and we need to look at our own hearts, are rationalizing our actions. Do you ever catch yourself saying, oh, it's okay because... Watch yourself. Watch your heart. How can we see where we're going if we don't have the light? Again, the big idea. We need the light of the world to see rightly. I love this Psalm 36.9. It says, In your light we see light. Again, we need light to see. The light of the world has come, but some people turn away from the light, preferring the deeds done in darkness. But what about us? I want to close my sermon now with a time of application. I have three points of application. Number one, we are to believe in Jesus as Lord and worship him. Again, verse 38, Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He got it right. Jesus is Lord, and we should worship him. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, one of the things that we're admitting is that we were not created to direct our own path. We all thought that we were. We all thought that we could find pleasure for ourselves if we followed our own path. But the truth is that Jesus is Lord, and the only path that leads to life is the one in which we follow him. It's only as we walk with Jesus as Lord that we will go where God wants us to go. So have you confessed Jesus as Lord, or are you still pretending that your life will be better if you direct your own path? And then let's consider this word worship. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's the right thing to do to Jesus. This word for worship specifically is the one where we bow the knee to him. When we bow our knee to Jesus, we're recognizing that he is worthy, that he is our Lord and King that we commit to following his ways. I get this picture of of a servant coming up to his king and saying, King, what shall I do for you? And that's to be our lives, where we, we bow the knee to Jesus and we learn from him what he wants us to do. And that leads me to the next point of application. We should walk in the light. Now here I'm using this imagery of John 9 in in which a a man got his physical sight to represent that we all need to receive spiritual sight. And I'm kind of combining that with what we see in 1 John 1. In 1 John 1, 5, we learn that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we also see in that chapter that we are invited to walk with God in the light. Now there is darkness, but uh, what we're supposed to do if we ever notice ourselves walking in darkness is we confess and God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and invite us again into the light with him to walk with him. This light is to permeate every area of our lives. And I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to think about all the different areas of your life and how you're doing at walking in the light in each one of them. It it may be pretty easy to come here on a Sunday morning and to worship and to walk in the light. And I would say, good, I'm glad you're here. Now, keep it up. Um... Let's think about maybe the the next part of your life that you might go into from here. Maybe it's going to be a time where you're spending time with family and friends. Are you treating your family and your friends the way that you should? Sometimes the people we're closest to are the people that we treat the worst. Do you think that's what Jesus wants us to do? To come here and sing worship songs and pray and say, Jesus, you're the light of the world, and then go home and be bitter and angry or selfish around our family? No, if that's the, the pattern of your life, then something is off and you need to walk in the light. Walk in the light. Or let's think about another area of your life, work or school. 
or for some of you I know, it, I mean, what, some combination of those, or, you know, stay-at-home mom, wh- whatever it is, I'm combining all of that, the, the stuff that you do that takes up a bunch of your week, um, we're talking about that area right now. Are you walking with God there? You don't get a reprieve from walking with God just because you go to school or you go to work. You're supposed to walk with Jesus in the light wherever you are, in whatever you do. I love Colossians 3.17 on this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are you walking in the light in what you do for your living? Or what you do at home, or what you do at school, or what you do with your family? Every area of your life. Or let's think about one other category. The category of sin. Guess what? When you're walking in sin, you're walking in the darkness. Now, praise the Lord, there's a remedy for that. We can immediately turn away from our sin and come into the light. And again, 1 John 1 tells us there's, there's cleansing there, there's forgiveness there. Are there any sins that you're struggling with lately? Is there any darkness that's been calling out to you and you've been so tempted by it that you've been walking in it? Maybe it's the sin of lust. Um, this world tells us that our, our bodies were created and it's okay to indulge. Well, guess what? There's a lot of things that your body might want you to do that aren't good for you. So if there's any, any of that specific sin in your life, bring it into the light. No, no, let's think about that. What does it mean to bring a sin into the light? Well, the first thing we should do right when we become aware of it, we talk to God about it. But if it's a sin that you've been struggling with for a long time, maybe it means you go to somebody else and tell them to. A trusted Christian friend, maybe somebody who you know isn't going to blab it to everybody else, but you tell them, here's what I've been struggling with. Would you please pray for me? I've already talked to God about it, but I want to talk to you because I could use some extra accountability. You know that word accountability? It's when you tell somebody else your sin so they can ask you about it, so they can encourage you and pray for you. I heard somebody who, uh, this, is, this is bold, but... Um, he was struggling with sin, uh, with, with sins of lust. And I forget if he told, it was either his mom or his mother-in-law about it. <laughs> like, wow, all right, that's the guy who doesn't want to sin anymore. <laughs> Do you hate your sin so much that you want it gone? Let's be people who walk in the light. Whatever you're struggling with, whether that's anger or bitterness, or selfishness, bring it into the light. And let's not be like those bugs. You ever walk into a dark room and you turn on the light and then all of a sudden the bugs just scatter? That's gross! (laughs) I don't want to be like that bug. If you know that there's a sin in your life, bring it into the light and let God deal with it. You'll You'll find cleansing there. You'll find peace and healing there when you do that. God will strengthen us through the Holy Spirit to walk on the path that he has for us. So let's walk in the light. And then, application number three. Let's shine as lights for Jesus. Now, this one is kind of astonishing to me. When we understand the idea that Jesus is the light of the world, and then we remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Now, it's interesting because last week we looked at the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We're not the bread of life. We can't give salvation to other people. But with this one, Jesus is the light of the world, and we are the light of the world. And I think here's how this works. Jesus is the ultimate light of the world, but when we receive him, he comes and takes up residence in us. And his light then lives in us, and that light then is to shine to the rest of the people in this world. For those of us who know Jesus, we are to let our lights shine. This formerly blind man in John 9, he did a great job of it. He simply told people what Jesus had done for him. 
And that's again where I want to ask you, what can you do to share your story with other people? That's my homework assignment for you. I want you to find a way this week, find a way to share your testimony with somebody. And I'm not talking to like, you know, your wife or you're, you know, the person sitting next to you in the row. I'm thinking about somebody who maybe doesn't know Jesus yet. Can you find a way to share your testimony or even just part of your testimony with them? I'm not asking you to, like, ram it into a conversation where it doesn't fit, but what I am asking you to do is to ask God to open up a door and see if God will open up a door and give you the opportunity to simply tell the truth about what Jesus has done for you, to share your story with somebody this week. Jesus is the light of the world. We are invited to come to him, to believe in him, to walk with him in the light, and as we do so, we should worship him, and as we do so, we should shine as lights for him, telling others about Jesus as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given us light. We know that that we don't see rightly on our own, that we don't pick the right path on our own, but we thank you that you have given us Jesus that we can know him, believe in him, worship him, and walk with him, and share the truth of him with others. Would you please strengthen us for all of that? And Lord, if anybody in here doesn't yet know Jesus, I pray that they would come to know him right now, that they would say in their hearts even right now, Lord, I believe. And they would enter into a life in which they worship him and, and keep worshiping him. Lord, thank you that we were created to know you and to walk with you, and that your plan for us isn't that we would grope around in the darkness, but that we would see by the light, that we would walk in the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.